0: You're listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Meyer. My guest for episode 127 is Katie Jane Garside, a singer, a poet, I'm going to say a mystic. She emerged in the early 90s, fronting Daisy Chainsaw. You're right now listening to their hit single, Love Your Money, from 1992's 11. Her main collaborator in that was guitarist Crispin Gray. She quit after two EPs and an album. He went on, did one more Daisy Chainsaw album without her, but they reunited under the name Queen Adrena and put out four albums between 2000 and 2008. She then quit that and in 2007 put out one solo album and then got together with Chris Whittingham, guitarist and now her spouse. They put out four albums over a decade as Ruby Throat. And in 2020, they renamed their band Liar Flower, released the brand new album Geiger Counter. We're going to be discussing My Brain Is Lit Like an Airport from that album, then look back to Hoo Oo by Ruby Throat from Baby Darling Taparo from 2017, and then look further back to Lesions in the Brain from her solo album. She released it as Lala Shwari. The album was called Lullabies in a Glass Wilderness, 2007. We'll conclude by listening to the title track off the new album, Geiger Counter. For more information, please see katiejangarside.com. For more about this podcast, see nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. And if you want to support this podcast, please go to patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic. I'll have played a little bit of Love Your Money by Daisy Chainsaw from 11, 1992. Just to reintroduce that, how you got on the scene, but we're going to get very quickly to your newest stuff. My brain is lit like an airport from Geiger Counter, 2020, the new album by the newly rechristened Liar Flower. So it's the same. It's Ruby Throat, but you added a rhythm section. Is that why it's a new band name?
1: I feel it as a change in energy. It's simple. It just insisted it be so. And I think we had to step free of that mantle, uh, let go of that coat of Ruby Throat. And Liar Flower just feels a lot more appropriate to this right now.
0: Do you have a couple words to introduce My Brain is Lit Like an Airport in particular before folks hear it, or should we just let it surprise them?
1: You know, life's full of surprises, isn't it? And I kind of made a habit out of that, really. You know, as in these songs, a friend of mine called it Scream of Consciousness. So that song was written. It's a long story and we'll probably get around to it, but I suppose
2: we probably should hear the song. My brain is lit like an airport So the angels will find me
0: Can we get a little bit of structural information before we get into the meaning of the song, which is, do you just come in with lyrics and then Chris comes in with a guitar line? How exactly do these elements come together?
1: I think this is in what I was saying before about this signifier of the energy shift was what we did, you know, we've been at sea for like four years we were on the land and we could plug in after four years of not being able to plug in what I've been doing for the last couple of years is meditating really intently so I meditate for an hour in the morning and when I come out of that meditation I write before my brain is caught up with itself before she remembers who she is so I write my, my scream of consciousness my stream of consciousness just utter nonsense and I put it away for a long time at least three months if I can before I look at it again so I'm very disconnected from it and then I when we're improvising in record I have those sheet of paper all around me and I let the words pick me so this song is an improvisation caught in record and then it's an hour and a half improvisation where everything coalesces somewhere in the middle or towards the end of that I don't know that's an edit and that's my brain is lit like an airport and then Chris is overdubbed on it.
0: So you carve this down to the four and a half minutes that it is, and then you add more guitars and drums and things like that. To
1: the drums out. were there, but yeah, he added. Then he goes to town. Yeah.
0: You said that you were playing to a drum loop, but there are clearly like parts on this.
1: <laughs> yes, he will have added stuff.
0: Okay, all right.
1: Or maybe the whole track. Was, I don't know. I can't actually remember.
0: We should talk about the thing that came out of this meditation. I mean, to me, it sort of sounds like the whole thing is a a song about songwriting, a song about trying to beckon inspiration down but do you have any idea at this point even what it was about
1: well that's interesting you say that actually the phrase my brain is lit like an airport kept coming back again and again through many different meditations and writing sessions and you know i was calling in all my people on high (laughs) you know come i'm here
0: So some of that I get. I mean, it's a crapshoot. You know, you don't know whether the inspiration is going to come or not.
1: I think that's more about the risk of the knife edge of life, actually, rather than directly to the songwriting process. But I've meditated since I was 18. I make up a lot of stories to go with that, and they're real to me. I talk to my people, as I call them. They change shape and form all the time. It's created a true narrative in my life. And in a sense, it's given me an anchor into not being anchored. It's made that safe enough for me.
0: Not being literally anchored, yes.
1: (laughs) Well, literally as well, but it's (laughs) just made it safe enough to not have any handrails and to be able to walk the knife edge, really.
0: So is the image of Elijah in particular, what resonance does that have for you? Was that even connected to the sort of biblical story and all that?
1: No, not directly. Many years ago, I I was messing around with the idea of automatic writing with a pen. When I talk about the stream of consciousness after meditation, it's always tap, 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 tap onto us.
0: Really? That works for you? Because I have a lot of trouble with keyboard. I've had to go back to pencil. Have you? Just to make that work. Creatively, I don't know.
1: It's so interesting, isn't it? How these seemingly small things make such a huge difference in our process. For me, for stream of consciousness, keyboard creates an extra disconnect for me because I can touch type, you know, I can let my fingers do the talking. But when I was talking about when you just mentioned Elijah, that was years ago and I was writing with a pen or a pencil. And I asked the person writing through my hands to name themselves and that was Elijah. So I've carry Elijah as part of my story. I've dipped in and out with Elijah. Sometimes Elijah seems to write through my hand in a very clear and pure way. And I've been more disconnected from that as a source in the last few years. But I still always hold that name. It's a very powerful thing for me in my story and my storytelling.
0: Did you have a sense... So most of this is just back and forth between two chords, but then you hit this, what I called the bridge, this light is coming off the page, where we get a third chord here. Did you have in in mind, okay, something different has to happen here?
1: Chris and I, and some years before that, we've been writing songs for many, many years, or involved in this process for many years. What we found, this is why I was using that word, gratifying, actually was that within the improvisation, there is a song structure. It might not be. He does a bit of editing after, but the structure is there. When the song is coalesced in the improvisation, the structure is there. That's strange and gratifying. What I mean is that we've been writing songs for so many years that you almost have the template, I think, in the unconscious, and the subconscious. Not that I want a template, but it happened with another song Mud Skulls that we're not talking about today. It's also improvisation that went straight down. It missed out all the stuff of having to take apart an improvisation, relearn it, rebuild it and try and record it with the same verve and shock landing, which you can never recapture and that's you know, that's what I've always been aiming at for so many years and i've got it in a few places but this song on this record it, i think we've managed to sort of do that in a way that we haven't well we've been more successful at
0: that so when you say you have your paper scattered around you this part about she wants me on the show i'm considering it will give me more exposure i could share my recovery process was that from a different pile or was this part of the yeah. same okay
1: and the stream of consciousness is there's a lot you know it'll be a block like that on each page and so it might be from different, I don't know if it's from a different sheet, but it probably is, but it was all there. And some of it will be actually improvised in that moment rather than coming off the sheets or the sheets are just giving me a, a toehold and then I can zoom off down improvisation alley.
0: Am I guessing the hamster plays the piano, which is done at a particularly vigorous point is an improv line?
1: <laughs> I guess so,
0: yeah. And then we get into this guitar solo area, which I just, I would not have expected hearing the other album that Chris had this amount of grit in him is that from his prior life before Ruby Throat
1: He's been handcuffed for so many years <laughs> so he was finally let out the gate you know he's louder because I came out of a noisy band uh, for 10 years everything was shot to pieces. And I couldn't drive over bridges. You know, I just completely cauterized so many nerve endings. as was just the walking wounded. And I couldn't have loud noise. I couldn't do the drums. I couldn't have... out guitars through amps to a degree but you know we did some with Ruby Throat but not not any real loud stuff but that really goes with that energy shift into life Flower I just knew the energy shifted and I could do it again and, and it was more than that I kind of needed to do it again we needed to let all the voices kind of live in the room you know.
0: That's all the voices that it's not like now you're back to the old style it's really quite a varied album with the, your auto harp quiet pieces alternating with things like this, just every conceivable level. Well, let's get a second song out on the table, one of those more mellow things by Ruby Throat from Baby Darling Taporo, 2017. Hoo-oo? Is that just because that's one of the things that during the improv section, one of the noises you made, or is that word mean something?
1: That was written going across oceans. There's a lot of space to make that noise. Hoo-oo. I think it almost has a question mark. Hoo. Ooh, with a question mark, really.
2: Desert fur, pretty little fish in a switchback dress. It's nine years old in the back.
0: Again, we have a repeating riff, very nuanced, very nicely recorded, old Southwest kind of Americana. I mean, do you think in terms of genres for any of this stuff, or it's just acoustic with some mood?
1: That was written sailing across the Pacific, so it's a song of the Pacific, wide open spaces and storms really and i think that's why i want to talk about that song because it's a journey song we recorded the main bit of that song this this is unlike my brain the main bit of that in new zealand actually so that was recorded on land even though it was written on the boat going across the pacific on a five string mini guitar looks like a ukulele
0: i was thinking it was a nylon string but basically same sound ukulele and nylon
1: yeah, it's it's a five string small guitar, I believe. But it's just a beautiful instrument that actually it was given to me and I can't play it or Chris gave it to me. But with most of that record, yeah, the baby Diamond decora that was recorded on, on that little guitar. And I just love the tone of it. It's a beautiful song.
0: Yeah, let's talk for a second about as a poet, as a lyricist, about your attitude towards instruments that you know, I noticed you have a bunch of auto harp pieces on this. Was that a fairly recent discovery in terms of using that as a songwriting tool?
1: Yeah, I carried it around for many years. And yeah, that came around the world, that beautiful thing. But I couldn't make friends with it, and I didn't like the sound of it. And I'm not a musician. I sort of follow a uh, um, story. You know, I, I don't know what I am, actually. I'm, a, I'm an impulsive So that's the truth. And I just finally found a way to make that make sense to me. Cause, but I was trying to play it, you know, as you would, with a pick. Just the sound was so grating. I really didn't like it. And and then I just a few months ago started playing it with the side of my thumb rather than the pick. And I really liked it. And as a non-musician, it's such a great instrument because, you know, you just got some chord buttons.
0: (laughs) So this song is mostly that single guitar with this mood synth going in and out over it. But then there's some parts where other guitars, and I thought that might have been auto-harp doing a little bit of junking around
1: No, there's no synths on there either.
0: Oh, so that's all string?
1: Guitars, yeah.
0: So just heavy, long, long reverbs that are faded in. I guess that's what that is.
1: Chris loves to collage, but there's definitely no synth. He might have used a cello bow.
0: I just like to get a general idea of how you're working in this. So this is a seven and a half minute song almost. Can you say a little about... So this has a definite verse and then a chorus that has some arrangement... You know, it's a little more traditional structure. Yeah. Did this come out of the same meditative kind of process, lyrics first?
1: Actually, I did meditate on the boat, but no, I wasn't writing in that way. What I did do, is I would do the dawn watch. That means I think i get up at four um, when we're crossing oceans. And in that dawn watch, in that sort of half sleep, I would lie in my bunk And I have to get up every 15 minutes to check the ships and check the weather. So what I would do is set the timer for 15 minutes. And as it's, you're so tired, you know, because we've, one of those crossings was like 30 days from Galapagos Islands to the Marquesas. So I'd be waking up out of that half sleep every 15 minutes and I'd always make, write down whatever was there in that half dream state. And that that I did make into a book of poetry, but the stuff that didn't turn into poems, I did turn into songs. So yeah, that's where, this is actually a pretty similar process, isn't it? It was more traditional songwriting or carving something out of stone, really, like sculpting it rather than letting it write itself, which is a big, small shift.
0: i'm just trying to get an idea of what this chorus it's a very sad sort of chorus i could lie with you like a sail but it is sinking full of dew you know i could fall in love with you but the world is too depressing kind of (laughs) or something like that you don't need to demystify anything if you don't want to but if you if you know
1: i'd love to have the the key to demystifying anything (laughs) but i don't i can (laughs) don't think i can demystify anything at all I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what any of it means. I suppose it's just as how it feels. I agree. There's a kind of weight there. You could eat your own Carnegie.
0: Which even that word, what does that mean in that context? As in, like Carnegie Hall, or like your inner rich person, you know, go getter?
1: Yeah, I have no idea. No
0: idea. <laughs> Or even the you, is this a meditation sort of talking to your own subconscious? Do you have an idea or is it some kind of love song? Do you have a sense of who the, this is in second person but I don't know who this is sung to For
1: me, I could sit there and sort of unwrap it but it would change on any given day i'll go along with the feeling and the, the feeling of being in an immense ocean with absolutely no reference points and the enormity of that the potential of that to pull you under I've long ago sacrificed the idea of sense of self or identity, but that's incredibly visceral when you're on the ocean because you actually don't exist. So much of existence really is in reference to something that it stands next to. If it has nothing to reflect back on, it is a form of annihilation. So I think to be of the mind that, you know, this is all really, it's all a dream.
0: Well, I guess there's different ways of taking that because there's the, it's a dream so we can relax and, you know, not get caught up in the, but then there's definite kind of fear of death, like you were referring to, but the, the ocean could, I see myself in the hem of that dress as they pull it from the body, take back the key from the unnamed breast. I mean, that sounds like an anonymous drowned woman or something that you're reflecting on.
1: Before we went off across the oceans, we lived on canals in North London on a canal boat. Um, there was a reoccurring image of the body of a prostitute in the canal and that has played i think that's who she is she keeps playing out through my unconscious of subconscious to a degree so i think she turned up there in the middle of the oceans
0: did that inform the early part of the song or this is just an image that came if you impose that into the wrap me in your violent hair kick him in the water do it nice that whole beginning section it gives it a different context
1: It does, doesn't it? You know, I never reflect back. I've only sort of remembered that image from you quoting those lyrics, but I do think that's right. I suppose it does all go back to, you know, the ultimate annihilation, which we all carry with us in our pocket, which is fear of death. I suppose the whole song could be set to hang, hang upon that today.
0: The closest thing to a hoo in the song is at the end, where you've had a couple choruses and you're starting to improvise a little with the melody and doing these really pretty rephrasing the words with a different melody than they came in the first place. Is this always first take? Or do you like, eh, that wasn't really significantly inspired. I want to do this
1: nine more times. I think that this song actually got finished here. So it was the main body of it and the vocals recorded in New Zealand. And then I remember actually arguing about this song a lot. It was one of those ones where we knew that this, or for us, you know, it's probably our most satisfying Ruby Throat song. We knew that we got this thing, but I was really tortured by the end of it because I just couldn't find it. I couldn't find that melody to get out. And I'd caught it a couple of times while we played it in the cockpit at sea. I'd sort of found it, but then as soon as, you know, get that red red light fear of, you know, when you know you're in record, just couldn't find it. And it was really upsetting me because I just knew it, for us, it was really sort of a lovely thing that we were sort of really, and I was really attached to it, And but I was being driven mad by not being able to get the end of it right. And that's, again, I swear, I really like writing in improvisation. If it's recorded in improvisation, I'm fine. You know, I'm not a musician, so sometimes I can jazz out, but then I can't do it again. I can't find it again because I don't understand what I did or how I did it. So I'm good with inspiration, but I'm not good with music. So, yeah, that was really torturous, but we found it anyway when we got back here. So we finished all those recordings that have been started in New Zealand and finished them and mixed them here on the ground you know with plugs and
0: everything so this one actually has a little bit of backing harmonies a little bit like it sounds like one word or one phrase is having your vocal you know you have a very bjork like acrobatics but yet she likes to really layer herself which usually seems to be something that you for the most part avoid but you did a little of it here is that something you know you're listening back like ah that could be a little thicker or when do you decide in particular with the end of this song it sounds like what you're describing is that you you know had some more hoo-hoos, but like okay well let's put a bunch of reverb on that and now that's the background vocal and now you're going to sing a new lead part this they laugh they love or i wasn't sure what what the words were at that little
2: part
1: I don't know what the words are at that part.
0: (laughs) Do you remember what the thought process was in this case of like, okay, we are going to have a little bit of harmonies or we are going to have some vocal interplay. I guess we had that in airport too, right? Where at a certain point we had multiple voices that were kind of echoing around.
1: You know, all those in, in airport, those are all improvised as in from earlier in the improvisation that he's spun in.
0: Oh, okay. So it's not even you hearing something, it's him electronically adding that, I guess.
1: He's chopped it up and blown it in, yeah. Yeah, getting that last bit on hoo ooh. I was really happy when that happened. And I think we improvised out. Quite often, I'll just run again and again and again and crystal. He really collages, but he's also incredibly light of touch. Well,
0: let's get the third song out there, which has no collaging at all, Lesions in the Brain. You are calling yourself Lala Shwari from uh, "Lullabies in the Glass Wilderness" two thousand and seven. Am I right? Is this still Chris before?
1: Awesome, waji I'm afraid we're going to continue on a theme. I was still in the big noise band
0: Queen Adrena, yeah,
1: and I was had these home recordings, just four track on the floor, four track you know tape machine. And I was recording my Lelashwari record, as you said, and awesome came round, and it was continuing the theme that was an improvisation. And I suppose that that was probably where I got the confidence with that star to know that I can write in improvisation and allow it to exist in the world. That would have been a long improvisation, probably half an hour or forty minutes, however much fit fit on probably a ninety-minute tape on the full track. And then I've just cut out the bit, but obviously there's no overdubbing, so I've just gone, ah, that's where it begins and that's where it ends. I don't believe there was any sheets of paper around me, so yeah, just just grab that nonsense out of out of. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, this one sounds like it has a story. Let's hear it first.
2: is the story of lovers, the rage and the cold hand of old.
0: six and a half minute one. So it's another, you've, you've picked ones on the long side, although hearing now that these are called down, like I, you know, one of the songs on this album is 18 minutes, which sounds like that one, you just didn't call down. You just left it more or less intact, right?
1: Just one day of endless love. Is that? Yes. Yeah. 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 I thought we kind of needed that to be quite long because we could all do with just one day of endless love. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so was this like a little cassette rec- I have my cassette four track right here.
1: Yeah. Mine was Taskam.
0: Um, yeah. Ah. yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to make those sound good. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's cassette. So if you don't do too much overdubbing,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it depends how you define that.
0: If you're averse to overly bright, like your comment about the picked auto harp, then the soothing sounds of the, uh, I guess if you're, if you got full 90 minutes, then it's not even on the task game I know you can get better quality if you speed up the tape, if you play at double speed, but that sounds like you're just playing it at regular speed. This is a type 2 regular tape.
1: Yeah, it must be. I just suddenly had a thought, did I record that straight to mini disc? But I'm pretty sure I didn't. I'm pretty sure it went onto the Tascam.
0: For 2007, that's a pretty uh, bold move, because I keep that thing around because I used it in the early 90s with my band at the time. That's what we had. But yeah, starting in 96 or whatever, I upgraded to ADAT, and then now everything's on the computer,
2: so...
1: I just always loved the 4-track. I've still got one, actually. And I just, it's set up, and I was working on it, but I haven't sort of made friends with it this time. I've been recording cassettes recently, just not on the 4-track, but just light, straight to cassette.
0: Like with a real mic, or just with a, like a cassette Walkman kind of thing?
1: With a good mic, yeah. And I've been selling those because I'm a to mouth.
0: Right, I was just seeing that on your website just to explain that. So you're doing one-off recordings. I'm going to play a song for you. I'm going to send it to you. Nobody has this version. You don't even have this version because you've sent them the original. Is that right? Or you don't even digitize?
1: Yeah, we don't. What we did do because, you know, we're in the knowledge that most people don't have cassette players. We've made one digital copy of that cassette. So if they want that digital copy, they can have that as well as the cassette. So I've been doing that with the auto harp songs. I think I'm recording five auto harp songs. But I do it as a a kind of put a skeleton kind of framework together, but it's kind of just an improvised thing, which I'm doing with two phones and a radio and jumping around on the radio and the phone's with different music and mixing them in with my songs so if I turn on the radio and I, I actually I've been using quite a lot of Ligeti I, so I've been running that from YouTube and playing Ligeti with some of my also harp songs and sometimes I can find you know the sort of that goes really beautifully together and recording that directly to tape so every tape is different and whatever happens to be on the radio spinning it on sometimes it's three phones and the radio and me and the auto harp sometimes it's just me
0: and the auto harp so are there are lyrical ideas that might come up during one of these sessions that you're just like okay i gotta at least write that down and use that for a real song later
1: no that isn't happening okay. honestly if a piece of music comes on the radio and it's really beautiful i will just sing along with it like improvise but i'm i've just been in one of my favorite things to do is to sing without lyrics because sometimes I find it just feels so second handy if we're improvising. Language is, I sometimes feel it's, it just feels like everything us, it just sounds like a cliche, like it's so 10th, 100th, millionth hand old to speak without words. Is, I think maybe that's the next thing is to do a whole record with that, a lyrical content, because that's, uh, I use that word again, very gratifying.
0: I'm trying to remember the name of the band. There's an Icelandic band that's very famous that's not yes, coming to mind. Yes,
2: Yes, thank Sig- you.
0: Thank you. That way he just makes up a language that <laughs> it could be an Icelandic. I don't know <laughs> that anyway. So it might as well be nonsense. Pretty sounding syllables. Let's reflect on what you just said there with regard to lesions on the brain. So here... You know, we've got words through the progress of this song. The tone of your voice goes very far. That by the end, you're doing something. You're even doing like bird noises. <laughs> Did you have a sort of character in mind with this? Like this is obviously really different than the uh, than the other ones. That it's got this little snappy swing riff that you're going off of. It's a, it's more of a straight up beat poetry thing. But then there are a couple places where you do nice soaring notes.
1: Well, it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? That sitting there playing with Orson, who I found him as a player just so gorgeous, you know. So I got him all to myself and that's what happens. You know, that's an impulsive chance of reaching out and grabbing for that. I, I can't really explain or go deeper into it. It's just what happens. You know, that is it. It's just if you play it long enough and you go into the zone of no zone, of, into, you know, no, I was going to say no self. It is no self, but certainly not. Not this bit, not the frontal cortex bit that's what happens, and it's so fun. you know, I recommend that to anyone to find that place that's what I'm reaching for
0: it's interesting you say you don't reflect back on this stuff because you have such an obvious psychological curiosity that if you're doing something automatic writing, then well, you can't analyze in terms of like what was I thinking when I was doing this because like I don't you know I don't know it was just coming out, but that's actually a psychological tool that people use is do some automatic writing, so I you know I'm looking at the sounds, you're talking about walking around in the sunrise, but there seems like a fear of rape. Rape for the run on the ring. Like, that's how the song starts. This little groovy thing. Rape is the first word that comes out. Do you have any idea? <laughs> that seems a little disturbing.
1: So I guess it's, the, you know, the prostitute in the canal again. Yes, she, yeah. I mean, that's before the canal. But, oh, well, that's interesting, actually, that sort of comes back.
0: Or later in the song, she lives in my bones, but I wrote it already, but I'm already waving the gun. The whole rest of the song, so much of it is nice, you know, walking around and looking at the desert and the colors and, of course, it's, and I'm not going insane, <laughs> that's coupled with that, but then you have these things, by the end, you're begging for help, that it is clearly the, uh, if this was a protesting too much, I'm not going insane. By the end, it's, no, 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 please help me. Mother, please help me, a girl going crazy. A lover deprive me amour. I want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt you. I let you collide with the floor. So this, you know, conflict and falling imagery and all this fear in this very light, snappy song.
1: I had this deal going on actually at the time that that was written. I've never thought about this. So you know, this is purely coming out because of you (laughs) in that band. It had kind of gone calamitously wrong. Crispin and I had found each other after sort of years wandering. I've been up in the Lake District finding the voice (laughs) by screaming at the top of mountains, losing the voice. And I came back to London and I was going to make all these recordings out of all the stuff I'd recorded on DAT, which was waterfalls and scream of consciousness. I couldn't kind of make it all work. I couldn't find a way of getting it together. And I met Crispin again, who I'd been in Daisy Chainsaw with. And we were both very, very scared of each other because, you know, being in a band can be really rough and torturous for some. So we started this dance and we started recording and we recorded a song called Pretty Polly and we reckoned that went pretty well. And then we had a bunch of demos, four-track demos, and they all sounded good and I was like, really sort of happy and going oh these going. these are beautiful and they're tiny and broken and corrupt and I love them and then we went down that road and got a, there was a record deal and all that and then we went into the studio and then suddenly these broken little demos just became these sort of monstrous rock songs and the whole thing sort of gathered in momentum and I felt after my sort of shamanic reverie in the wilderness I felt like it had all gone wrong. My plan had all gone wrong. And I was caught up in something that I'd sort of never quite intended. And because of that, there was almost a sort of transgression against my soul. And I felt like I was prostituting the muse to a degree for want of a better word. And that's why that became of so embodied that to make it. I had to be that. If I was going to be that, I couldn't find my way out of it. I had to make it bearable and authentic to myself. I had to be that. So I was a transgression against my soul, prostituting my beloved, which is my, you know, my connection. Ha! I was going to say my connection to the divine, but it is kind of that. That's how it is for me anyway. I had to show everyone that I was a whore because that's what I was and that's transgression against my soul. That's why that's bled out into that song. So it's not in that song. That's a reflection on that state of being. Because actually I was having a good time now because I'm actually making a full track recording with my friend Orson. That is a version of events where it's not true but it's a version that we can use.
0: Well yeah, this is a very uh, adventurous album. (laughs) Let's say that. I'll refer folks that you can do a pretty good I was going to say Freddie Mercury heavy heavy metal (laughs) in terms of like, that's what's, some of what's coming out with Queen Adrena, that, that, you know, this voice that you can do all these things with definitely can work over a giant mound of rock slab, but... The,
1: it, it, word that it's like one of the loudest bands in the world. And I, you know, people would say it in rehearsal. They would say, oh, that's just so loud. And I just kind of, again, I've used this word again. And I was kind of annihilated by it. It's so
0: yeah, no, I, having to sing over that, like, yes, you can do it, but like having to do that. So it's nice to have a song like this, where you can just do a different character that would not pop over all that stuff.
1: Yeah, so it took me a while to find my way out of that. But the four track recordings of that Lalashwari album, that was my sanity in that situation. They kept me company, and uh, I could always come back to that. And that's, you know, I know Lalashwari has by the means of perfect record <laughs> but it's sort of necessary document of the time for me and as I said, you know, I'm an impulsive chancer so I'll put out something that's basically unlistenable.
0: Well, we're going to leave folks with one more from the new album, the title track from Geiger Counter. Before we say goodbye, do you have any introductory words for this one? This is a much shorter one. This is a different side to the new album than the My Brain is an Airport
1: Yeah, my brain is lit like an airport. It's funny, someone else called it that as well, my brain is an airport. No, it's definitely not, (laughs) but it's lit like one. Geiger counter, just, I don't know.
0: (laughs) So I will direct folks to go to your website, get a a one-of-a-kind. I still think that's, I find that so fascinating to try to make music, which now that it's electronic, is inherently duplicable. (laughs) But yet, to try to make it like a painting or like a sculpture that you can have a one-of-a-kind performance. I mean, I guess that's what the live gig is supposed to be, is that there is something in the air that'll never be captured, never happen that way again. And are you playing out with the new—obviously not now, but like, were you planning to with the new record?
1: Yeah, because, you know, we do that. You know, we toured a lot in the early days with Ruby Throat, and we like to do that. You know, I need to do it, really.
0: Still with just the two of you, or do you have a drummer or something coming along with you?
1: We'll have to see how all that goes. With you know, we're kind of hand-to-mouth musicians, and you know, unfortunately, there's an economic thing that as soon as there's more than two people having to ship round the country, it's it's quite hard to come home with any pennies in your pocket.
0: Well, you have a child to ship round, right? <laughs> or
1: <laughs> yeah, she'll be she'll be yeah yeah she'll love that <laughs> yeah she'll love that.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this. I know you feel like that you, you don't know where these songs came from, and you, but just the description of your processes of priming yourself up to do that, this, this is in itself is very interesting.
1: I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate the way you ask questions, Mark. That's very, I find that really stimulating, actually. It's making me think, and I really thank you for that.
0: All right, here's Geiger Counter. Thanks to Katie Jane. You got to hear a little bit of our auto harp in that one, as I'm sure you've been able to surmise. She's got a very unrestrained, interesting catalog. If you want to learn more about it, go to katiejanegarside.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Nakedly Examined Music. You can find the relevant links at Music.com or wherever you listen to podcasts, which will give you access to my next episode with Roger Joseph Manning Jr., most famously from Jellyfish. His material really, really stuck in my head. He's got a new EP by members of Jellyfish under the name The Licorice Quartet. You're really going to want to come back and hear that. My most recent recording, which you will not hear for a couple months, was with famed trumpeter John Hassel. And if you think Katie Jane was mysterious on the origins of her songs, John was so mysterious that I had to get one of his bandmates, the multi-instrumentalist Rick Cox, known for his soundtrack work, to do a supplementary interview that I'll be weaving together. So that's a first for me. I hope you're all doing well. It's a very busy podcasting time for me. Not so much music recording, but I hope you all are making the most of your creative gifts. Keep on musicin'. Until next time, this is Mark Linsenmeyer signing off. (laughs)